is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. So the March on Rome ended with Mussolini becoming the prime minister. So in his case, it was a very different outcome than what happened in January the 6th. I mean, there's a lot of similarities and maybe the way they organized it. But in reality, the, the whole event was just very different because of the outcome. But the, the outcome in the Beer Hall Putsch, which was in Munich, and this was Hitler's coup attempt um, a year later. Um, tell us a little bit more about what that was about. And that one has more similarities to to Trump because it didn't succeed. Yeah, one of, and it is linked to the March on Rome because Hitler was very, he was obsessed with Mussolini mm -hmm. and he wanted to, Mussolini was his idol and he wanted to, in the putsch was his attempt to imitate the March on Rome. Um, and there's, there's interesting research on this. And then it, they didn't have enough traction and it, it, it was badly planned. And so he went to jail, um, and in jail is where he started writing his manifesto, Mein Kampf. But he kept writing to Mussolini, um, trying to, because he wanted Mussolini's help in bringing the March on Rome into Germany. But Mussolini saw him as a total loser <laughs> and didn't want anything to do with him. So there's. I remember this in your book. This it's, is by so the way, your book is so great. Yes. But this is it's the greatest really part of your book. <laughs> it really is very funny. It really is so, so funny. These and love he letters. Kept, like, begging him. Yes, he was like. <laughs> and then he went. He, you know, Mussolini would answer him. So he went through intermediaries uh, because Mussolini had like his agents and spies and. And, and he bought this one guy who was a, ma a major in the army, who was like his per liaison. And the guy couldn't, the guy, he was bugging the guy every so often. But it wasn't until the early 30s when, you know, many things had happened and then the depression had hit and the Nazi party, you know, now had a following that Mussolini finally returned his, answered his um, plea for an autographed picture. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so it took all this time. But the putsch, so the putsch is, one of the other things that's very important about this period in Germany is, um, so Hitler comes out of, of you know, he, he, he's not in uh, prison that long. And when eight he comes months, out, I think, I think yeah. it was about eight months, yeah. So, so he starts, you know, proselytizing again. And this is when, like in the mid-20s, uh, he, he starts, he has his uh, relationship with Goebbels and a lot of the Nazis who would be with him come to him. And Goebbels in particular starts, uh, starts kind of, and he, they start trying to clean up his image so he doesn't seem like such a criminal. Um, and, the, and he takes uh, hypnosis lessons, he takes voice lessons, and he practices his gestures in front of the mirror. But as he gets more of a following, the, the different states in Germany uh, see the danger and they pass uh, a ban on his speaking, which is very interesting given the whole thing, the right is crying about cancel culture today, right? Yeah. And I have, I have a, yes, and I have a picture in my book of Hitler, of, of, the, Nazi, so, so of the Nazi party posters complaining that Hitler was being canceled. Oh, wow. And they're posters of Hitler with his mouth tape shut. Oh saying of all the people i have to be the victim and and so they turned him into a kind of um silenced truth teller 
who'd been canceled, right? right. And so, but then look what happened. He convinced the states that he would abide by the constitution, that he wasn't gonna do any more hate speech. So one by one, the states lifted his speaking ban and the rest is history, as they yeah. say. Because 10 years later, he was elected legally uh, as, as the uh, chancellor of, of Germany. And that was, that was that. I mean, he sort of went into the world war after that, right? It was in Munich where they do Oktoberfest and they each had political events inside the beer tents. So the whole thing took place inside um, one of these tents and it was a raucous affair and there were 600 people outside so no one could leave um, during the process. And they would try to convince various officials to take positions and he'd come out and address the crowds. Um, and then... Uh, at some point, they sort of ran out of steam. It was okay for a couple of days. And then they ran out of steam. They decided, well, we're going to march. We're going to march to, I think it was the Department of Defense in Munich. It was supposedly an unplanned march. But even though it was unplanned, it was met by a lot of resistance. Four policemen died, I think. Um, and then it's a very similar number to, to what we saw on January the 6th. And that's why he was ultimately sentenced and, and tried for treason. The choreography of the event reminds me a lot of what happened on January 6th. You had... Donald Trump provide, providing the, the uproar at the beginning uh, outside the White House and then marching over to, uh, to the Capitol. And, and one thing I want to um, I really want to stress is in the uh, in the speech at the rally before they, um, you know, they started the assault. Trump, you know, we, we keep hearing rightfully about him inciting violence. And that's true. But he also told them that he loved them. He said, I love you and you're special and our journey together is just beginning. Yeah. Right. And this, this is part, and it goes back, this is what Mussolini did, this is what Hitler did. They made their followers, brown shirts, black shirts, and then regular people feel special. They made them feel like they cared about them. And they each had this very mesmerizing way of connecting with their followers. So the incitement, this, this promise of love and making these people feel special is part of the incitement because January 6th was a rescue operation, mm -hmm. right? So, so March on Rome was to get Mussolini in and January 6th was to keep uh, Trump in. But one thing in common is that you're rallying around the leader because you believe in him and you believe he loves you mm -hmm. and he will he will make your reality, he will give you an elevated reality. Um, yeah. This kind of spiritual ideas, and that's what Bannon buys into too. Um, he thinks Mussolini was a genius and this whole, that's why the Ebola and all this other kind of, there's a whole tradition of like fascist quote spirituality. And what's yeah. so dangerous is it, it's, you know, the spirituality is also like a death cult and violence. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Hitler was so mesmer. How was okay. he really? Yeah, I just want to know how was what was Mussolini's main communication vehicle? Was it doing his speeches outside? Was it, um, you know, what was his Twitter? What was his Facebook? What were um, what were his methods? What, it, print publication was he was he writing? Was he have people that that knew about him get putting his message in print how did his people know that he thought they were so special and why were they so committed to that um so that so in this period in this period he he gave speeches but he was he'd been a journalist 
And a surprising amount of these su successful strongmen had come, they come into office or they come into politics with a background in mass communications. They really know how to connect with people, like Mobutu, too. He was Mr. Sloganeer. So Mussolini was a highly skilled communicator. He was also a very exciting orator and he gesticulated, but he, he had so many slogans, like drain the swamp. He had a million slogans. And he knew, uh, so that, that's what he had. And then very early on, he started to use newsreels. And he was the first leader uh, to strip his shirt. He would take his shirt off and he would, you know, do these performances. And he knew, and his gesticulations were very good for silent cinema because until the early 30s, cinema was silent. And so he, he had these big eyes that he would like, and so all these you know, myths came up around, there was this idea if he would just look at you, he would heal your, your illnesses because he had yeah. these like crazy, crazy intense Power. eyes. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was, so it was newsreels, it was um, slogans and, mass events. and then his rallies, mass events. Mass events. Yeah. The newsreels is interesting because I think they just had forced all cinemas to start running newsreels uh, before the movies, before there was optional, but before Mussolini came into power, they started making it a, that it had to be shown before every yes. movie in the cinema. So in terms of what was like equivalent to Twitter, I think that's a really smart observation, Ruth, that newsreels were probably the Twitter of the, the day. Um, so let's do a little side-by-side -side comparison. Um, the March on Rome versus Stop the Steal, again, the date's wrong, that's twenty. 1922, not 1923. But, you know, we had the black shirts on the March of Rome. We had the Proud Boys in Stop the Steal. And I think there's something to look at there in terms of a comparison between the militias um, that the black shirts were and the Proud Boys are today. Uh, the size of the crowd, not dissimilar, about 30,000 on the March in Rome, 30 to 40,000 on the Stop the Steal. Both had corporate and Vatican uh, support, which I think is kind of interesting and unique. Uh, now, the yeah. only difference is that in March in Rome, they led to a 20-year fascist rule, and in Stop the Steal, the U.S. Constitution prevailed, and hundreds were arrested. Now, when it comes to uh, the beer hole putsch versus Stop the Steal, uh, instead of brown shirts, you had black shirts, only 2,000 Nazis in the beer hole uh, putsch. Um, corporate and anti-Semitic views were really how they, they were... They were uh, supported by, who they were supported by. And then four people dead, four police dead, and Hitler arrested for treason. Um, similarly, at the Stop the Steal, there was five people dead and hundreds arrested. Um, it's interesting to look at those comparisons because it looks like a recipe to me. It looks like you could just you know, say, okay, I need, I need this many people, I need uh, militias, I need support from corporations, I need co uh, support from maybe some religious institutions, uh, and you're off and running if you can get you know, 30,000 people to show up. Yeah, and and one of the the one of the lessons is it's a tragic lesson. That's why I said before that the the army was you know was the national armed forces, and the king could have and the king was very afraid. The king didn't like Mussolini, mm -hmm. but he was his his this is this little bit of like psycho history. The king's father had been killed by an anarchist, oh. and the former another king obviously and so uh, victor emmanuel he was he was very timid and he was like he didn't have the gumption to stand up to the fascists um he was a bit traumatized i think and so he took the easy way out which was to let these thirty thousand. Um, and there was intelligence. It was a little bit like the january 6th there was ample intelligence that they were coming he, everybody knew 
Um, but and he could have called out the military and gotten rid of them, and that would have been the end. But he didn't. Didn't. Um, the other group that so shows up is the organized criminal group in both Trump and uh, and Mussolini. The mafia is present in both. With both Mussolini and Donald Trump, that ties those two men together. And it's, it, it's in the gangsters that were underneath the whole thing in a, in, and the lineage of those gangsters. Mm. So it's easier to see or to think about organized crime because it is sort of in the underworld. It has its own boundaries and borders. It's not about a nation state. Um, and, and the syndicate, even though the powerful syndicate at that time really was in the United States, forming in the United States, you had the old world, um, uh, basically like extortionists, right? Mm -hmm. That were yeah. uh, in, 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 in uh, Naples and they were connected to the church. But in terms of being connected to these, uh, to the regimes, to Mussolini and then later to, to Trump, they're sort of floating underneath it and just in it for themselves. So they're just sort of like, you know, these are people with levers and powers in a world that they can either go, okay, we're going to make you our guy, or you know what, we're going to let you think we've made you your guy while we rob you blind over mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you can't do anything about it. Um, and so, uh, and how I look at the Vatican at, at that time, uh, in going back in history, is I just look at them as a bank. Mm -hmm. I look at them as bank and as landowners, as as this sort of wealthy. Um, so in a way, they're not. They felt more bankers to me and landowners to me than a, a sort of doctrine and a religious belief. That it, it was much more. If you're looking at it from the underworld up, these are the financiers. So these are the folks that help you hide your money, and these are the folks you have to pay for the Italian uh, uh, mafia, part of the syndicate, either in Italy or in, in the United States, uh, that they had to pay quite a chunk, of, a big chunk of their money to, you know, right. went to back to the church. So right. um, it's, a, it's a different kind of relationship there. It's very financial. It's a financial, financial but they also both have good networks to build up support. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the Vatican networks. has churches and, <laughs> and the mob has, has their own yeah. network. So it's a great way to sort yeah. of build a, build a following. That's right. And you That's know, right. this this story of Mussolini and the mafia, part of when he was still, he was trying to do the just the both sides thing, the privatizations and yeah. posing as a populist. You know, at the beginning, he said he was going to clean up the mafia. Mm -hmm. And it was yeah. part of him cleaning up. Uh, he was going to put, you know, get rid of alcoholics. He was going to get rid of all yeah. kinds of what he called deviants. And you can see why a fascist who wanted centralization wouldn't like the mafia because there were places where the mafia was acting as the government. So he 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 hired this uh, prefect. He made this uh, famous investigator, the prefect of Palermo, Cesare Mori. And Cesare Mori went and did his job with great tenacity and arrested thousands of mafiosi. And then he did it too well. And he did too much investigation and, and uncovered the fact that you know, the mafia was in cahoots with the, the fascist party yeah. and they together. And so and their methods were similar and they were allied. And so uh, one fine day, um, uh, Mussolini's brother, Arnaldo, who was his fixer, um, arranged for yeah. all kinds. If he had if Mussolini, any problem, you know, his brother arranged it. Um, so one fine day, Arnaldo says the mafia is vanquished. It's over. And Cesare Mori was transferred from Palermo up to Istria 
in the northeast. He couldn't be it, so far away, like the opposite end of the of the of the boot. Um, and so, and that was the end of uh, Vanquishing. So they said the mafia was gone, but in fact, the uh, the fascists just allied with the mafia and used its methods. Yeah. So it's a crazy story. Yeah, well, and I think he got a lot of his women from from uh, from their uh, brothels. That, that was their women, um, and in terms of Mussolini and the men around him, and there was quite a bit of drugs coming in. Um, yes, and, and that was quite a lot of drugs, and that was coming. Um, I think it was coming from uh, Luciano. So our, our, or from his, I think from his brother-in-law. I have to look at that those that those charts, but so that everybody can kind of understand what was happening in the United States, there was a very interesting counterpoint to all of this. Um, uh, as we got closer to World War II. Uh, Luciano, uh, Lucky Luciano, who was one of the uh, original founders of the, of the syndicate, which involved both uh, the outfit and Cosa Nostra, right? The outfit was primarily Jewish based in Chicago and out on the West Coast. And Cosa Nostra, you know, they both were sort of all over the states, but Cosa Nostra, everybody thinks of that as New York and sort of the East Coast and down into Florida. Okay. But, and being the Italians. Um, so Luciano and Maya Lansky really founded all that. So Luciano, when Capone got popped, right? Because we're talking about Capone a lot this week because I've seen people talking about it because all these investigations into Donald's money and he's going to go down for taxes, right? Like Al Capone. Well, understand that when Al Capone got popped, what happened to the men who had him in place? He was Lucky Luciano's cousin and he was Meyer Lansky's, he was sort of Lucky's person in Chicago. And Meyer was sort of chairman of the board of all this money, a portion of which was going all the way back to Italy into the Vatican. So it's, if you follow the money, you can see how everybody's connected <laughs> and how they're operating. When Al Capone got popped, Lansky freaked out. He freaked out because he realized, oh shit, they're gonna get us for the money. They knew they had control over everybody for the, for the liquor uh, before, then the drugs, and for the extortion rackets, and for the murders, right? Murder Inc., everybody thinks of that. Yeah. But, and the leverage and control over the politicians, but no one had considered, oh shit, they're gonna get our money. It really was creative at the time. Yeah. Um, and so Lansky went right to Switzerland and started setting up his own banks. And he was there with the fucking Nazis who were also oh, doing wow. this in Switzerland it's and so with crazy. not together, right. and the French were doing it. Right. Not together, but everybody was freaking out about, okay, how can we get, you know, the Swiss had this rule, they, and I think Lansky muscled him into it, of like, okay, we're gonna have a Swiss banking law where we'll have these offshore banks and then nobody can get it. No one can look at it, it'll all be, <laughs> and so that's why those, that's why all that shit started. Is because the gangsters were like, shit, we gotta hide our money now. We gotta, oh gotta no, they're us. gonna come get our ta They're gonna get our taxes. They're gonna come get us for fucking taxes, yeah. for tax evasion, right? They can't claim how they made their money because they were making it illegally. So you can't claim it. That's why these guys go down for tax evasion. It's right. not just that they don't wanna pay taxes, is that they can't justify to the government how they made their money because they made it illegally or they laundered it from something. Okay. Yeah. That's why so you have to buy condos from, from that's Donald why you Trump. Have to buy condos. That's right. That's right. So Luciano's in Italy. He's just, he's in, he had to run away. He's like, oh, fuck, they're coming for me. And so he's, Italy takes him in and, um, and he's still running everything from Italy. And then this thing happens where we're getting into World War II. And the, it, there's a big story around all of this, and I will tell it all for you guys someday, um, soon. But what had happened was 
there was this thing, it gets called Operation Husky. It's not quite right, but it's this mythology around that the, that the Navy, the ONI had reached out to these gangsters to say, can you help us with the ports and with the stuff and everything going on? And, and Luciano was there with Mussolini and he's like, okay, but you're gonna let me back, fucking back in. You're gonna take away all these tax crimes. I will help you with this. Now, the degree to which he actually helped us in our invasions in Italy is suspect, okay? Because what also was happening when the ships were arriving with everything, his gangs were just taking, <laughs> they were just taking the goods coming from America and taking them out of the black market, right? Like, so they were stealing from us, but also providing intelligence and providing information about where people were. And a big part of toppling Mussolini came from the intelligence that was being gathered by Luciano and Luciano's crew, by the very gangsters that then ended up when they were back in the States, um, that Luciano is the, is the godfather of the Genovese crime family, which is the crime family territory that Fred Trump via Roy Cohn was a business front for. Mm. Okay. So you just went one, you went one generation from Luciano and you've right. got the, you've got the money and the development behind the empire that became Fred Trump's real estate empire and that fortune that got transferred to his son. Donald. And Fred Trump was also a Nazi uh, supporter. And Donald's now getting investigated for tax evasion yeah, yeah, yeah. on. Right. <laughs> It's yeah. incredible that that the Trump he he channels within his figure and his history, his family history, his business history, you know, all the all the all the kind of heritage of 20th century authoritarianism. Like think about yeah. you know, so he's got like people, you know, Bannon and kind of fascist worshippers. Then he's got around him Roger Stone, who actually worked for people in my book, like Mobutu and Marcos. He worked yeah. for all these dictators you know, other people with psychological warfare. Manafort. And then he's, yeah, yeah, Manafort. Uh, Manafort, and, and Italian, yeah. Yes, exactly. No, he, yeah. like all roads, all roads lead lead there. And then yeah. then the final thing with this uh, hiding money, I'm, I'm, this is like, I have a bee in my bonnet right now about, you know, the people, yeah. all the, from Putin and Orban and Trump, they're anti-globalist, yeah. but they're the biggest globalists <laughs> of all. Nobody's more globalist than Trump because his whole business yeah. model was about licensing his his you know brand abroad, and he was getting Chinese trademarks, you know, and Ivanka too, like well into his presidency. Yeah. And so they complain about you know they use this anti-globalist and then you know ally it with anti-Semitism, and they're all storing their money in this offshore you know networks that are all over the world in the laundromat so, in the laundromat that Lansky yeah. established, right. yeah. But so it's incredible that people f keep <laughs> falling for this populist BS with the, the anti-globalist. And you, you have to keep the money. That's what's so good about, you know, the work you do here. you got to keep the money central. Right. Uh, because it lets you, like, get, it lets you uh, show the hypocrisy very clearly. You can Especially, see it. Yeah. I, I stay very much grounded in that. Sorry, Zev. I stay okay. grounded in the money because you ca I can see everything. It, it, as soon as you step outside of the money, it, it becomes this toxic stew of bullshit, right? It's okay. Yes. Is it religion? Is it fascism? Is it like, no, it's just, it's just this greed. 
yeah. stand in the money. It's corruption and greed. And everybody is just running a game. They're running a con so they can have their hand in whatever part they want to have in that money pot. Steve Bannon, same fucking thing. That guy yeah. is a, a talk about a globalist. My God. Right. Yeah. You know, he's got China, he's got the Middle East. God only knows who he's not in bed with. Right. And, and you know, his whole, he was Goldman Sachs guy. Right. Yeah. And so everything's about money for him. And that's what he's, you know, he got pardoned for that. Let's see how that pardon holds up. And when like, you look, running you look, a scam or running a con. A total scam. When you look past the populism and you left, you left to this unholy alliance of, of the church, the mob, um, and then, you know, who else? The, the, the corporate sector, the people are the people are being left out. You know, these other guys are driving yeah. the change. These big institutions that have been around yeah. forever, you know, so it's, uh, it's interesting that those are the things that really are involved in gaining power in these populist uprisings. Um, I am interested in, in Hitler's uh, spy history. You know, I didn't realize this until recently that he was a, a spy for um, I don't know if it was for the for the for the government or for a part of the government I ever worked, but he was he first joined the the workers' movement there as a spy in those movements. Do you guys know about that? Well, he was part of military intelligence. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, and yeah, and he he. So that was his. When you so say you, that yeah, I you, feel like it's from some other country. You're oh, meaning no, from he, Germany. Was why yeah. intelligence was within Germany. Okay. Yeah, okay. Within Germany, okay. and yeah. then he actually rose yeah. up the ranks of the Workers' Party as an agent, uh, spying on them. He, just did so well. He, like, he didn't like the policies. Yeah. That's how he, it's. Yeah. That's the irony. Is so he. You know, he served in. In he was he served in the war, and he he won two iron crosses. But then he. Um, he didn't really want to demobilize, so he went into military intelligence. And his first contacts with the world of uh, the Workers' Party and this kind of radical world were as somebody tasked with spying on them and report as subversives and reporting them uh, back to the government. And then he found he had uh, he became attracted to this world, and it was a way of having status. Because Hitler always, uh, he had this sense that he needed a bigger and bigger playing field. That's why Austria was never going to be big enough for him. And he went, mm. he wanted to fight for Germany. He never wanted to fight for Austria in World War One. So then when he, then, you know, in very short period of time, he basically took over this German Workers' Party and converted it into the Nazi Party. But yes, he was, he was a... Um, military intelligence, which is such an interesting fact. Yeah, and so was Donald Trump in terms of the fact that he was a confidential informant and also potentially an asset for the Russians. I mean, you've got a similarity there, which I just hadn't thought of before. I hadn't seen that that parallel drawn. As I was doing this research, it occurred to me that both Deutsche Bank are involved in both Hitler and Trump's world. Yeah. You've got the Kochs mm -hmm. or the Koch family involved in both Hitler's world and Trump's world, and you've got the Vatican involved in all those. Uh, I'm not sure if they're involved in, in the Mussolini world as well, but if you look at the three drivers of Donald Trump's world, that's clearly the Deutsche Bank, Kochs, and, uh, and the Vatican are, are, big, are big parts of what drives that entire coalition. It's so fascinating that it's the exact same companies and the exact same people, exact same families, and the exact same institutions uh, as, as drove Hitler. I mean, that can't just be coincidence. It seems like it's part of the recipe. It's it's part of the recipe. I mean, in in this case, the there's these continuities for mm -hmm. sure. Um, but sometimes the players change, but the 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 underlying, you know, the big the alliance with big capital while promising 
again, this populist BS, mm-hmm. um, that, that stays right. the same. Right. And, and then, you know, it's very interesting to remember about Mussolini, uh, and we, we still need to do more research on this, um, that he, you know, he asked, he actually asked the American ambassador to Rome, who was a big fascist fan, Richard Washburn Child, if it would be how the Amer- if the Americans would be okay with him doing the March on Rome. Hmm. That's kind of important if you think of the yeah. history of right-wing uh, s- subversive movements and coups and the U.S. So that yes. goes back as well. And Mussolini was the first uh, right-wing dictator to be propped up by the Americans. So that's another, they propped him up financially. Yeah. Uh, he had a lot of uh, very important um, uh, backers in J.P. Morgan, the House of Morgan. And so that's another it wasn't on your graph, but that's another through yeah, line. That's an interesting thing to add to that. That's an interesting one. Yeah. Because Morgan and was I would also, even turn. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, I would, I would turn the Vatican upside down in mm. Donald's <laughs> category <laughs> just because it's almost like it's a shadow thing there yeah. Um, yeah. where, you know, nobody knows where the money is coming from and pouring into the Federalist Society, into mm-hmm. Leonard Leo. Um, who had everybody in there. No one really is clear, even on the CNP, where the money was coming. You know, there's this, the, the, the packs that these sort of extremist Catholics connected to both of those organizations that are also political operatives, mm-hmm. the packs that they're involved in are very dark. Um, it's difficult to understand where the money, you look at someone like Jenny Thomas, Clarence Thomas's wife, you know, you do have these folks and then you have the one, the one sort of clean through line to the Vatican as it is today is Newt Gingrich's wife, who's over mm-hmm. there as our, whatever, ambassador to the Vatican. Yeah. Right. But everything else is sort of. Well, I mean, the Bill Barr it's, thing. It's the so, underbelly. It's yeah. some weird underbelly that is, you know, I've said this about Bill Barr since a second. I just, yeah. I call him an it because mm. I don't know what it is. Uh, what is that? Yeah. Is that is that a foreign agent? Is it because Kirkland and Ellis looks like it's a front for a lot of oligarchs and a lot of it, what is it? Is it is it weird intelligence mixed with some kind of ancient thing? I can't land that guy. Yeah. What the he does heck seem is to be very guy? interested in this fundamentalist Opus Dei view of the world. I mean, he does sort of want to, you know, yeah. use the world as being a, a culturally corrupt place. I mean, that's really, yeah. I think, what he believes, which is kind of stunning well, for well, America. What's he doing now? He's, I think he's back oh, at Kirkland no. and Ellis. I think he's back at Kirkland and yeah, Ellis. Yeah, this is where we, we need to, so. this is my, like, uh, irritation of the week or, yeah. or the, of the okay. year, of the of eternity. Okay. That, you Thanks. know, these, <laughs> these people cannot just go back uh, especially people like Barr to their law firms without some like major pressure campaigns being placed on these mm-hmm. law firms because they were, you know, subverting democracy. Yeah. Um, and, and then they just go all go back, the Steve Mnuchins, they all go back to their purchase. And that's, that's, yeah. that's disgraceful. Yeah, Bill Barr should be testifying at before the committees investigating January the 6th, because why did he quit when he'd quit? It seems so yeah. unusual that he chose to leave just before this period happened. It seems suspicious, frankly. Yeah. They should haul him up. I wonder, not, if I wonder if he'll show up we, if they weasel, do. going to weasel. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if that's probably true. Um, I've got a couple more things here, which, are, of course, the, the thing that led us to today was the discovery last week that the CPAC stage looked like this. I mean, this kind of oh boy. 
you know, this is a Nazi symbol and this is another way to look at it. Yeah. And that is the stage on the which Nazi the symbol. Trump yeah. administration or the Trump, uh, I don't know, party, whatever you call it now, the Trump loser uh, chose to be on for an entire weekend, you know, re, you know, reliving the insurrection basically for three or four days, whatever it was, on a Nazi symbol. I mean, this is not coincidence. I mean, clearly... Someone knew this was uh, a part of the plan, and they're sending a message again to their supporters. It's really bad. Yeah. Go ahead. Did you recognize it, Ruth? Did you recognize that? Right. You have to kind of be steeped in extremism as it is now. Um, uh, this is a very big symbol now for the for the extremists, um, and it is yeah, and, right off and the collar of that mountain uh, core. Yeah. yeah. Listen, they're trying to use it because it's less explosive than the swastika, but it's equally anybody who needs to know will know. Yeah, it's a no, dog it's, whistle. It's, complete, it's like, totally disgrace. Yeah. It's 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 they must be laughing. You know, uh, it's the the fact that they did this is just um, it's uh, I don't have words for it. Um, well, it, it is a troll. I, this is this is something that you know for the. In that realm of 4chan trolling, which doesn't exist as it did back in, um, you know, in 2014, 2015, uh, when Steve Bannon was really pulling operatives out of there uh, to, to sort of coach and teach how to become political operatives. But this is what they did. Okay, so they would throw up a swastika, or throw up some kind of hate symbol, and people would get people to react to it online. Um, and then they could say, oh, ha, ha, look, I control you. You're laughing. You're reacting. Why are you reacting? It's just a symbol. And that was the, the first big troll uh, movement was around, literally around a swastika that was being laid into a children's game. Um, uh, that was actually in 2005, six. It was, it was back in the day. It was like one of the first online games. Um, and so some of the most infamous trolls that are political operatives that have been hired by people like Kellyanne Conway have are Holocaust deniers. And one even is a yeah. hacker that wears great big, huge swastika as a tattoo. And he's such a garbage human being. That's probably a troll. It's about evoking. It's not necessarily about subscribing to beliefs. It's about getting so evoking a response and and holding a superiority over somebody emotionally because you've pushed the pathos okay it's peddling now, in fear when, it's pretty fear, it's yeah, fear. fear. when, you're, when yeah. you're running around doing that for as long as you're doing it you actually do become a nazi there's only mm. so much cosplaying that you can do before it becomes a real thing and now we've seen that crossing that threshold and I think the insurrection was a big part of it all becoming real, right? It all just becoming real for totally. Totally. Um, and, no and it's way. a huge, it was, yeah, it was a big win and too that for was them. A it's a big win. And so that was a big yeah. announcement. That's a troll. That's them trolling us, mm -hmm. getting us all to react, say, oh my God, look, Nazis. And then they can go, you people have lost your mind. What, you, you're, you're crazy that you're seeing this thing that's right here in front of you. Mm -hmm. It's a manipulative Thing, while at the same time hardening that white supremacist core, hardening that extremist core, who are taking it's, it in a very different way. And there's very similar things that happened out of the March of Rome, a March on Rome, sorry, where they, the, the different groups that supported Mussolini coalesced. They sort of combined in that march and they came out in public for the first time. And the same kind of thing happened on January 6th. We finally had, you know, the QAnon people. We That's had true. the, 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 you know, the, um, 
Yeah. Um, these are the Proud Boys, uh, and they had white nationalists all fusing into one movement for the first time. We hadn't seen them in public like that. We'd seen these different strands developing along the way, but not as one united force. And there they were, you know, t- uh, storming the Congress. So it's a, it's a huge symbolic thing about this movement, which I think is not going away. I think there's a tendency for people to think, well, Trump is gone. This whole thing is over. It can't be over. I mean, they spent all this energy building this thing. It's going to keep moving. No. Because it's not also because uh, we're knowing more and more about what an inside job it was, mm-hmm. that there were people from the military, people from law enforcement, Trump donors, uh, Republican officials, they are the institutions. So, that, so this was the this was the threat is inside the institutions. Right. Um, but it's a very good point about it all coming together. It's like a huge, not it's not only symbolic, it caused deaths and it's, but it was a, a Yes, just in that sense, it's interesting to compare it to the March on Rome uh, because it becomes this kind of tangible thing and it, it creates more momentum and in, in, in agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the leader cult was reinforced because what happens in history when people like Mussolini and Hitler, etc., they, they take existing anti-democratic and criminal and extremist tendencies and they give them a focus. They make a movement. So Trump always said that his was a movement way back in 2016. And what he did was provide the leader cult. Um, And through also the force of his personality, also the connections to elites. And so all of these guys, and Berlusconi was the same, also connected to Opus Dei. um, They they end up with these like really weird, yeah. And they end up with these weird, um, like heterodox, constituencies where you have housewives and you have mafiosi and you have you know all kinds of people from different walks of society and the leader and the is the glue mm-hmm. and so trump was able to do this and so it's very important that at that rally the last image of the um the the film that was shown was his face mm-hmm. and his face lingered as they started going off to the capitol because right. they were going on right. his behalf right. they were going to commit the violence on his behalf right in his wow. name he was scared yeah. in his name what can, i want to know from ruth like okay so we have all this history we have all this stuff what now because we did mm-hmm. get rid of him we did elect him out unlike mussolini um but he's still out there lurking, but it does seem like he's kind of, yeah. I mean, I think that's gonna become a sad thing pretty quickly actually uh, with Donald. But what do you see for us? Like, what can we do? I think people are really like, well, what do we do with all of this? We know what happened to us. A lot of people feel powerless. What do we do? And I know Zev has a lot of thoughts on this as well. Well, one of the things that uh, the, the four years of Trump plus January, the things that went on uh, after he lost the um, election, the, the election manipulation, um, all the things that went on culminating January 6th were roadmap that the GOP is embracing about how to stay in power illegally. So it's very interesting that the GOP is now purging local and state officials because they never want to have a situation again where the Georgia Secretary of State or Republican officials um, don't obey them. So, so they're doing that. So what we can do, so we can be assured that in the midterms in 2022 and onward, the GOP has basically embraced 
violence as a way of changing history and electoral manipulation. They've embraced autocracy because mm. this is what autocracies do today. They can keep a pocket of opposition. Um, you don't have, uh, you know, the disappearance of other parties, but you, you keep yourselves in power through electoral manipulation and threat. And all this, every time a GOP luminary goes on TV and defends this, they're telling you this is the path. So what we can do is, is we have to work even harder to realize what we did well in the election and then in the runoff in Georgia. We have to work for voter mobilization. We're going to have to compensate for all the trickery that they're going to have. And we have to reach out to people who didn't vote in either 2016 or 2020. That's very important. That's, that's one thing to do because in the end of the day, it's the, the, the ballot box is what matters. Yeah, I think that's a very you know astute observation that they're going to cheat their way to a victory somehow. Hopefully they won't, but they're, they're going to try, try. Um, yeah. in, in in two years from now. And you're going to have, uh, you know, if they're able to enact some of these laws in on a state level that allows uh, the local legislature to over overthrow a result in a, in a popular election, um, as they didn't or weren't able to do this time around, those laws are going to become very tricky come the next presidential election. So, you know, the Democrats or whomever needs to mount a very uh, strong opposition to those laws getting passed. Um, so it's not just about showing up at the ballot box, but it's also about making sure that those laws that are going to suppress votes and then, then allow them to, to overturn votes, uh, that those are suppressed along the way or stopped. Because, uh, you know, if they pass that that law, if the Pennsylvania uh, state legislature can can decide to overturn an election result they don't like, they will do it if they feel like they can, you know, hold on to the um, the the election. And and for me, the GOP is such a frightening thing is because they're so embedded in the in the entire institutions of America and all the institutions of America, whether it's the military or elsewhere, they've got the power. You know, they could actually send their supporters all the way into the Congress without anyone really stopping them. And that's because they are the GOP supporters. So they're very powerful beyond. The traditional norms of of just who's in power they have people in the place that they can they are able to drive uh, events like the insurrection and that's why it's very scary as they stay in place yeah. like if, if nothing happens to all that military leadership all the rank and file that are may have supported the insurrection they'll still be there the next time round and the next time round could be as soon as march 4th it could be you know who knows when the next pivot point might be that they try to do something crazy and they'll be allowed to do it again because they've already been we've already sent the signal that it's okay. You know, well, Roger Stone okay. is not in jail. Uh, Alex Jones is not, in, not jail. in jail. Those I, people are not going to jail. Well, I don't know. Well, maybe. We need to get our, we need yeah. to get our AG in there. Yes. Um, and it looks like Merrick Garland, they are making all the announcements. Yes, he's going to be confirmed. He's going to be confirmed. So great. Um, and get, uh, and really keep vocalizing that we want justice. Justice matters, as uh, Glenn Kirshner always says. And, you know, to, to do that push to where we, the American people are not going to stand for this stuff not to be investigated properly, for these people not to be held accountable. We're not going to stand for it. Um, and so at pressure, pressure, phone calls, phone calls, everybody. That has to happen with all of your, mm -hmm. everybody that you can get on the phone with, uh, Congress people, uh, senators, and just make a deafening noise that this must be investigated. It was that serious. Um, and that. And then I want to be really careful with this next thing I want to say. I just want to, whatever ha ends up happening in New York with the governor there, if he's not staying and there's a new governor, 
I think the people of New York, you need to make your voices really well heard that whoever goes in a governor is not going to pardon Donald Trump or his kids from the state crimes that are mm. being right now and uh, everything that's being investigated. Just make sure that's part of the deal, right? Because you're nice. having a, a transition in power in a place. And I think New York is pretty set on going after him. I don't see that as a big possibility. I just think keep that voice raised because if there's a transition in leadership there with a governor, the governor does have the power to pardon this guy and pardon his family. So whoever's in there, mm-hmm. yeah. This timing is, re- is really difficult. There, it's really a hard to understand the Cuomo timing. I, I, I understand, but, it, but you know. Uh, no, I, I, didn't, I, I think the happened. fact that it's happening, yeah. it's, a, it's an op on him. <laughs> I really do think it's an op, regardless of the fact that it's true. Uh, it's also an op. You know, this has been a, a carefully planned okay. sort of, ex, you know, I think, I think. I just did a big, I just did a big, dropped a big piece today on, yeah. on all of this and how this all works with yeah. Greg um, uh, on Prevail. Yeah. Not on Cuomo, but on Kavanaugh yeah. and what that op is and who those people are. It's a great piece. I'm not, I'm, thank you. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying, I, I at this point, I, Honestly, I don't care. I want to make sure that whoever's there, whether it's Cuomo or somebody new, that they understand, everybody understand that those stakes are on the line with this thing as well, that, you know, whoever the governor is cannot pardon the Trumps, cannot pardon anybody associated with Trump org, cannot, cannot, cannot. No, 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 no. That doesn't get to happen. And then I think what Ruth was saying is like, as tired as everybody is, this is a very long journey. Do whatever you have to do to rest up. Don't sprain your ankle like I did today. (laughs) Take better care of yourself and um, figure out how to get back into the routine and the rhythm of becoming really engaged and involved in local politics on up so that we can make sure there's a guy, I think everybody knows who Mark Elias now is. Um, He's become this legend, this lawyer fighting for uh, voters' rights. But he's out there warning everybody that this is the greatest sort of voter suppression legislation moves are happening right now than ever in the history yeah. of our country. Like it's the, it's worse than, it's worse than we've ever seen before. Yeah. And so, you know, we need to make sure that he's a success and that there's plenty of lawyers and there's plenty of money and we're putting, putting all of our efforts, our money, in the right places to make sure that that 2022 election, we don't lose any ga- ground, we gain it. Yeah, we and it's literally, it. you know, it's less than two years away. It's almost 18 months away. It's like, it's coming around the corner. So it's time to get working. Um, we've That's run way rant. over time. I didn't even notice we were talking. Sorry. So much. Uh, no, it's been great. Really interesting conversation, but we should wrap it up. Um, Ruth, I forgot okay. to get the slide of your book up, but everyone should read Strong Men. It's really, really, really amazing. Uh, and I will put it in post, but yeah. I'll also put it underneath the, the feed after we've posted it today. Uh, but thanks so much for joining us tonight. Really always great okay. to have your insight. Really, really good information. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Great. And uh, we'll see you next, uh, sorry, next on Friday. And then next Tuesday, we'll be looking into the CNP. So that'll be really interesting. Uh, We'll see you then. And thanks for watching tonight on Narrative. Narrative is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative.